Good morning, afternoon, evening, or nighttime. You have stumbled upon the third episode of Selection Collection Podcast. Uh, your two hosts, myself, Austin Shanahan, and my partner, Will Dorjak, we're here to bring you into the literary cinematic universe. That is to say, movies that have been made based on books and books we want to see made into movies. So we're very glad you're here. Aren't we also going to chat about some of that for TV shows? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I mean. Just a full book, adaptation. Book to screen. Book to screen. And uh, other screens we want to see that come from books. So thank you for being here. to start this whole basically decision to to go about this topic with kind of a historical discussion and feel allow me to kind of indulge myself I just want to talk about basically the precedent of movies coming from literary you know sources whether it be um, you know a novel or even short stories like we were talking about earlier with Disney And like all the princess movies being, you know, tales that were told around essentially campfires, if you know, to use that sort of analogy. And then also other great novels that have been put into, you know, onto the silver screen. Basically, one of the maybe most influential and significant movies of all time being The Wizard of Oz based on a book. It's the first time people saw color on the silver screen. I mean, I can't even imagine the emotion of that. So there, there's a lot of really, really solid reason to, to put the, to put books on the, onto the screen. And I don't know if you have anything that you want to say to that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like books, literature, um, short stories, um, theater plays and stuff like that. They I mean, they were basically the precursor to what, uh, cinema and TV shows are today. I mean, that's where a lot of people got their first inspirations to, kind of do these things. Um, right, they're reading. They're reading, and they're imagining it, and they're like, hey, I want to see this. I actually want this to be projected and seeing out there. Um, and then with the increase in technology and stuff, that was something they were able to do. Before, books was the only medium to get your kind of imagination and your kind of ideas flowing, and then movies and stuff came in, and now it's kind of a whole thing where you see a lot of books become movies. I mean, it's a it's a big pipeline. I mean, it's... a, a concrete idea that you already have that you could adapt to the visual medium right and i mean it's just it's insane to even think about the fact that you know even i'd say 80 years ago putting something that is as advanced and left to the human imagination as a book is on the screen i'm I'm sure that seemed at very least a daunting tact like task to any director that was trying to go about adapting a story because how do you expect even like especially in the olden times but even now how do you expect to live up to people's imagination yeah i think that was definitely um like a thought back then was especially because back a lot more people like would have read those kind of stories already and they would be like they have something in their mind that they already like no this is what i think it is and then as a director becoming like especially early on, like, I want to put this on the screen, like, is, are people going to go take to it? Or are they going to be like, this is not what I thought, I'm completely going to shy away from it. And I think Wizard of Oz, like you're saying, is a great example of something that people loved, and now the movie itself has become its own 
thing that's yeah. been such a well like known it's, it's, property. It's its own entity. It, it you know people play Dark Side of the Moon to this because they think that it's been synced up on purpose. Like it's a legendary movie, and very few people know it was like a book first. So and, and the funny thing about um, Wizard of Oz, a lot of uh, people actually say that the Wizard of Oz was the start of people actually dreaming in color. Whoa. Because people used to always, if you talk to your great grandparents yeah, and stuff. Yeah, because you, you see everything like in on black screen, and white. On black and white. Dream in black and white. No way. So then no way. Was, yes. You talk to people, their dreams are in black and white. Because when when TV medium was only black and white, only there. Because color wasn't there. You didn't really think about Whoa. that medium. But they said Wizard of Oz started that as everything became color. Dreaming. That people actually... We were just dogs. Yeah, they wouldn't... <laughs> and back, they didn't really realize, like, what do you mean I do dream in black and white? And it's like, that's just what it is. It's like, that's crazy to me. But they're like, what? it's crazy that Wizard of Oz started the color. Wow. And that actually led to people dreaming in color. Holy cow. I mean... And then... What... I, just putting all of that together and, and not only the use of, you know, cinematic effects, but also like just putting the story itself on the screen. And like there ever since, I think Wizard of Oz is a great first example in regards to just movies. I mean, you have the older Disney movies. No, that was after. The, the, right, right. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And then it was like the first big, yes, big, big book to screen and then you had the stories like we were talking about like campfire stories you know or just small short stories of fables like snow white cinderella those old disney animated classics that have garnered so much attention and love um over the years and are you know collective classics those movies are valued you have a vhs of like dumbo it, it's it's a, it, super it's expensive super expensive now there's a couple of like um Couple of princess ones that um, there's certain things that I mean like yeah they will be cut when like, like when it comes to DVD yeah. like when it goes to DVD they actually take some scenes or something mm-hmm. else so like the original or VH- frames, frames, frames like one frame like yeah. the original VHS for like Lion King like they took out like a s- certain frame and they're like people just want that so bad that like the, you have the VHS <laughs> yes, give me one sixtieth of a second of content I've been stolen from it's absurd but you know it it kind of leads to that whole idea of that becoming more of a popular thing because the the list of, of some of these movies that have been books first, I mean, you have um, Academy Award Best Picture winners, The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, both of them won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. I mean, these are game-changing movies in this, like, to the nth degree, not only loved by, you know, fans of the books, but adored by critics. And praised for brilliance. It's unbelievable what we've gotten from the the literary section in regards to movies. Yeah, and I think because there's so much more kind of content stuff getting put out there, there's so much that I don't think the casual viewer doesn't realize was a book first or a short story first. Mm-hmm. So they don't realize like this actually came for something. A lot of times, if you're a casual viewer, all right, this is a movie. All right, this is really cool. It's like, no, this actually had a concrete idea that was there that people were reading right and it might not be as popular because it's not just on the mainstream but it's still this writer had this idea and everything and now you're getting a different perspective of that book from a different director a different screenwriter to bring it to a different screen and different medium to then give that property to even more people right correct and it's it's then it becomes a pop culture thing and i think that leads us really well 
into like kind of our next sort of segment, quote unquote, in this quote unquote discussion, um, is the idea that the book is better than the movie all the time, every time. And I think that the book readers kind of hate the, um, the spotlight that it puts on their book once the movie comes out, especially if it's a big hit. So I immediate, and we talked about last episode was Dune. Um, if you didn't listen to the last episode, apologies, go listen to it. We're not going to elaborate. Um, but Dune was a, it's essentially a book that people felt was impossible to put on the screen. And then someone who also was afraid of that same thing, uh, a Mr. Peter Jackson, did something that was also thought impossible with The Lord of the Rings. Okay, I'll hold on for a second there. Because um, I do want to kind of talk about that whole theory that the book is always better than the movie. Um, I, I have a thing that I think a lot of the times, whatever one you see first, or if you see the movie and then you read the book, a lot of times that's the one that you get hooked onto first and you <laughs> like it better. Um, I think there's a lot of movies and books that I like both of them, and I saw one first, read one first, and then saw the other one. But I think for a lot of people, like, I remember, like, when Harry Potter, the whole craze was, people were like, oh, I've only seen the movies, and then I read the books. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like the movies better. It's like, yeah, because that's what you fell in love with first. And then the book readers, vice versa, is like, well, the book's better because there's so much more in there. But it, I think it really depends, you know? Okay, y yes, and I know what you mean, and I agree with that, because... People, a lot of people don't, you know, the people who see the movies, a good chunk of those people, I think, also aren't really willing to read the books. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, and then there's a good chunk of the people who, if they really, like, for, my, like, for myself, for an example, I saw um, Lord of the Rings and I saw Harry Potter on screen first before I decided to read it. Oh, okay. That. But I was enamored with the, the lore and... But everything that was going yeah, on. I think like, I wanted to I learn. think you're in the minority there, though. I, yeah, I'm, I probably am, but I want to know what that split is. Is it like 70-30, me being in the minority? Is it 80-20, my minority? I I don't know. I It's, it's hard to tell, but you, usually I'm just more, maybe I'm just more curious and nerdy than, than most also. I, I, I don't think doing that a there's movie a podcast lot of casual sake. viewers that see movies and they go, I want to go read this book now. I don't think there's a lot of people like that. Okay. I, and then, just my opinion. And then let me add a sub-note then. When I heard Dune was coming out, and I knew then it was being directed by Denny, Denny Villeneuve, um, I went out of my way partially because of you recommending it, but I also really wanted to read the book on my own to before I saw the movie just because I like the, the comparison. So, so maybe, I think that is more prevalent. I think more people or will reach out and try to read the book before a movie comes out. But I think somebody who just saw the movie is not always going to, like I think the majority are not going to go then seek out the book. Right. I think a lot of people like you did are going to seek out a book before the movie comes out. Oh, I want to read this book before the movie comes out because I want to see how like it differs and everything. And, ooh, this is going to, like I like the director, so I want to see what mm -hmm. he's going to do here. I think that happens more than like, a casual person's like, wow, this is a great movie. I wonder how the book is. Like, I just <laughs> don't see that happening that True. often. True. Yeah. It's, I think you're definitely right. And plus, it's, you know, watching something that's two and a half hours is a lot easier than committing to. And you I know, think also pages. you get people who, book readers are definitely like, especially if you like, love the book, you're going to see the movie because you want like, to see right. like, how the day no picture is. It's the no comparison. But I don't think it goes back as much as like going 
from book to movie, from movie to book. I think book to movie, not everybody's like you. It's like, okay, let me read everything about this. Now. Right. True. And it, dep- it also depends on the movie. Like, there, I've seen some stinkers where I just don't kind of care. And, you know, I think we'll probably get into that a little bit. But, um, and, you know, that was... And now, like, but Lord of the Rings, I think, you know, bringing it up because it was the reason I wanted to... You know, I haven't finished the trilogy. It's dense. Peter Jackson's writing is... I've read The Hobbit because it was meant as a kid's book. J.R.R. Tolkien, not Peter Jackson. Yes, yes. The books. Let's talk books here. J.R.R. Tolkien... Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, and First Trilogy. I've not even dared touch the Cimmerillion. If I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. Um, but the I, you know, I've read the first book. I've read the first half of Two Towers, and they differ, you know, a little bit. But Peter Jackson, the director of the movies, does a great job of putting it on screen. Actually, maybe the best job. Some would argue that it's the best book to movie adaptation uh, of all time. I, I don't know, do you, would you agree uh, with that? I, I, it is up there on one of the best. I think probably you would get more than half the people would definitely say that it is the best book to movie adaptation. The crazy thing about it is um, he really had to fight to make it three movies. Um, most of the studios did not want him to do three movies, and they also didn't want him to tape back to back to back. Right, well he did it all at once, because yeah, it was more it. cost effective to film all the movies at once in the same scenes. I, I forgot who yeah, yeah. I forgot who was the actual like financier who finally said, yeah, go ahead, go do it, your vision, this is all yours. Right, because he they, needed a lot of money. He had Wingnut, which was his, yeah. his studio, but he, but he wasn't a late, he, he wasn't that big yet. He was a huge director. No. I mean, he just had a passion. Then, yeah, and then he was lucky that the Tolkien family liked his vision and gave him the mm. rights to everything to it because like, it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to be able to have the rights, but then basically he showed them, like, this is what my vision is these three movies I want to do this justice and they're like you are the correct person for this please like go ahead and go do it right and and man it's think about what those three movies are I mean people still today talk about the director's cut and talk about mm-hmm. every single thing about yeah, it the extent extended, the extended editions cut. yeah they're ex- the, and I own that extended I, trilogy yes. blu-ray like that's 10 hours of I've done that full 10 hours in one day oh you have to it's, it's th- I couldn't all stop. three movies are 13 uh, it's unbelievable. It's... Yeah, I actually, weirdly, we're talking about that. I remember when I was visiting colleges with uh, my parents, um, going down to uh, North Carolina, uh, and this was back when uh, one stream of services weren't there yet, and I uh, had my portable DVD oh, player. The, oh my God, I knew DVD where it player. was going. It, it was a 13 and a half hour drive, and I watched 13 hours. I just <laughs> went movie to movie to movie to movie to movie, and it was freaking right. phenomenal. Did you have to... Switch the discs yeah. out. Yep. Yeah, of course. That's I so movie to movie uh-huh. to movie to yeah. movie to movie to movie. Six dicks. Yep. Six dicks. Six um, dicks. That's, I think that's going to be the uh, the sequel to uh, what's that shitty Ryan Reynolds movie um, the, by Michael Bay on Netflix. No, I mean. I can't, I can't even remember. That's how insignificant it was. They killed Dave Franco in the first five minutes. He dies in a car crash. Stupid movie. Um, but, you know, the, that whole thing with that you mentioned about Lord of the Rings, and I, I don't know if Peter Jackson had to cast his characters before he went to the Tolkien family to get their permission. No. But, but I feel like... He, I think he had people in mind. I feel like yeah. he prepared to do so, because let's talk about perfect castings, and I can keep going, but I want to I focus on three or four. Number one, easily, is Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. And if I'm not mistaken, he what? wasn't actually the first choice. I, 
I don't know who the first choice was. I don't want to know who the first I choice was. was I'm willing to be ignorant to that. It was probably like fucking Tom Cruise. I, I don't know. That's I, it was, obviously I'm I doing a bit, but like it. That bossy couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Shout out to uh, Lights, Camera, Barstool, uh, that podcast. But Tom, yes, Tom fake ass. It's fake ass. Valkyrie. Why did they put a prosthetic if you, ass? If in you there? Google fake ass Tom Cruise Valkyrie, first thing that pops up is going to be a absurd picture of Tom Cruise in khaki pants standing up after an explosion. There's no way that's his ass. Um, but, but yeah, but Vigo was, <laughs> go ahead, if you, if you're, <laughs> please pause the podcast, Google it and, <laughs> and, and you'll laugh, back. you'll laugh you'll like we are it. right now. You'll Tom Cruise's bussy, baby. Big bussy. Oh my God. All right. But let's get back. Vigo Mortensen. Number one, number two is Ian McKellen is Gandalf. Um, just, I don't need to say anything else. That's, it's perfect. Um, number three I'm going to surpass um, Elijah Wood, and I'm going to go with um, well, play, Lady Who Plays, uh, you know her, Lady Galadriel, um, that woman. You're talking about uh, Kate Blanchett? Kate Blanchett, thank you. And her work in um, Thor Ragnarok, unbelievable, too. So divert. Like you, whenever I see her in anything, I just think, oh, that's Lady Galadriel. And she's so much better than just that, but... Unbelievable in that role. Do you have any favorite castings um, other I than mean, my three? Lord of the Rings start off started off Andy Serkis's freaking. Oh, uh, I can't mo, even. Mo cap yeah, you forget about you forget about him. Just. And the crazy thing with Andy Serkis, he actually was Peter Jackson's uh, um, Unit Two director for the whole thing. Well, that makes perfect sense, seeing what he's been doing lately. Yeah. So yeah, he was. They were so in line. I had no idea. Yeah, he was the Unit 2 director. Was Andy Serkis. Um, I think Christopher Lee as Saruman was freaking oh, phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that whole... There's just so... All the casting, I think, that was... That subplot, too. Yeah. The betrayal. Because I believed he was good at first. Like, he even... You know, he seemed sinister, and you go back and you watch it. At, or, you know, read it, and he seems innocent. Very innocent. And then he just turns on a dime and... <laughs> Tosses Gandalf around a room like a fucking ragdoll. And I mean, speaking of Christopher, Christopher Lee was like R.I.P. 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 But he was a Tolkien fanatic. Um, he oh, that's satisfying. He read. Um, he knew how to write in Elvish. He could speak Elvish. He learned. He learned, <laughs> that, okay. he learned how to do he read it. Read the Cimmerillion. Yes, he was so <laughs> into it that he actually um, boycotted the uh, premiere um, of the Return of the King because he technically was supposed to be in it. Um, but he dies in right. two towers, and he was actually shot in a bunch of scenes and stuff because well, it's actually they, it in is the different. Ex, in the extended cut, yes, but I'm saying the actual movie release. That scene where he falls on no, that he's in the he's in Return it, but, just sorry, in the beginning. He's supposed to be in. So for he boycotts a lot it ain't, well. That's well, about right. That's he's not, old too. I also believe that's not. I don't. I never read it. Um, that's not how he actually dies though. In the no, movie. it's not. So that's why he was angry about it because there was supposed to be like a big battle scene with. Um, mm, it's more all. intense in. Yeah. Um, Isengard for sure. Um, yeah, I thought he was great. Um, all of them. I just even like you said. Um, what's his face? Samwise. Why? Oh, um, uh, fucking Rudy. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, God, that's gonna. Sorry, listeners. For Sam, uh, Sean, Sean, Sean Os- Aston. Sean out. Yes, Sean Aston. I think him and his he did Samwise perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I think I think if I'm not, I'm, I might be wrong here, but I think that 
someone asked Peter Jackson who his favorite portrayal was because Peter Jackson obviously read the three books. I think he said um, Sean Astin as Samwise Gamgee. Not only because of his screen time, uh, screen time, but he played it probably truest to the character. That, that dumb, almost almost dumb, blind loyalty. Uh, just because, you know, he's the gardener from, from the Shire. Paid by the Baggins family. They bought him with gold. Um, and then, th those th the actors too were all way too believable. Um, and I always have to talk about this, is Viggo Mortensen kicking that helmet yeah. and breaking his toe and going with the scene. And them using that scene in the movie. And, uh, that's two towers. Um, yeah, un just unreal. Screaming in actual pain that he just <coughs> annihilated his toes. And just continues on. It reminds me of Leonardo DiCaprio and Django Unchained yeah. when he slams the skull down and cuts, cuts his hand, hand wide open. And just continues. That's it's only great actors who can do that. And Viggo Mortensen has uh, more than proven his worth. And uh, I think after that, I think another reason why I think the cast and everything just felt so kind of um, perfect was they had to spend so much time together because they were shooting all these movies back to back to mm -hmm. back that they were basically in New Zealand for the longest time. Right. Just like enthralled just in this story in this world the way he, where he created basically the whole um the hobbit holes and everything like that mm -hmm. actually created them I mean, you could go to new zealand you could visit the set and everything the set like they had actually created practical sets which is why i think lord of the rings was viewed so much better than um when he did the hobbit was he was so yeah, into was so practical CGI. effects yeah. and they were just in yeah. the Lord of the Rings. Or so I remember they had a couple of interviews. Um, they were talking about it. I know Lander Bloom, Bloom during the Hobbit. Oh, um, yeah. And he was like, he's a shit actor, but he played Legolas. But, he, like but well. he was like, when he he's like during Lord of the Rings shooting, he's like, we were so a lot of us were younger, newer actors that we were so like, just felt like we were in this world that like they all the main characters got um the the ring tattooed on them and everything. Mm -hmm. For, they, for the they whole... believe well, and that's more credit to Peter Jackson for creating an atmosphere, um, not only by being on location, truly middle of New Zealand in these beautiful mountains, but like not only being on that location, but also the the costume design, the his his ability to communicate the lore, and and uh, you know adapt to a script that's it's um, you know, like we were saying just if it was believed earlier to be impossible to, to adapt this. And they, he made the set experience, they're actors, they know they're playing a role and they still were believing it and falling in love with this. And it, it, it leads like, it kind of just leads to that whole brilliance of the entire, the entire trilogy. Yeah. And going along with that, I think the actor talking about how, um, when they originally went on the set, they thought a lot of the, um, perspective how the hobbits are so small compared to like Gandalf was going to be done post-production but he was so like he wanted to make sure that like they actually were on the scene that he just used a lot of forced perspective and all this like they actually they none of the kind of height differences was ever done post-production it was all done on just trickery mm -hmm. of the camera work and he actually had this camera dolly that was on these tracks so as they were moving the camera would move and make sure that they were still in that forced perspective perspective the whole time okay so the character had seemed taller than they were yes yeah. like i mean isn't vigo mortensen pretty short he's the shorter yeah guy. The, the best i mean a lot of people have seen the picture of gandalf um being so far up compared to the hobbits who are further back but they mm -hmm. look like they're the same oh yeah well the hobbits yeah that, but, but, but that's what i'm talking about the there's court. some trickery in, few, in a few scenes that are like over the shoulder shots where they had to like green screen them in but no for the most part for the most part it was done just by brilliant. it and 
they said like that feeling of him being like making things to have us still in the world, not just standing behind a blue screen, green screen. He goes really allowed us to basically just forget that we were people and just think I'm a hobbit. Mm, I'm I'm this role. I'm this role. It's like right. we really just kind of went full into it because of Peter Jackson and his direction and how much that he wanted to bring J.R.R. Tolkien's masterpiece to the screen. Right, and let's for, let's not forget. Tolkien wrote this in the 40s. It didn't really start getting famous until the 70s, and it was a grassroots movement similar to the way that Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer became famous because they were handing out merch in, in like, hipster bars. But basically, people started, people who were, like, it was slowly going around because obviously the 70s, communication is limited to mail, telephone, and word of mouth. It's, so people were spray painting um, the one ring to rule them all. In, in like subways and like little like phrases from the books that were just being seen everywhere in different handwriting but in different colors by different people in totally different areas and people are like what the hell is this what is this and they slowly figure out that this is Lord of the Rings and it's a book trilogy and nobody knows about it but it's basically the, the king of <laughs> of fantasy writing it, the, that trilogy is is Godfather and Peter Jackson did Godfather such, another yeah. great book. And Peter Jackson did such a good job that uh, Daddy Bezos is like, I want to keep this going mm -hmm. on and he's creating his own yeah, series. Amazon, and stuff. Amazon, uh, most expensive first television or first series, first season of television ever. I think four hundred seventy-five million has been put into this, and that leads wonderfully into our next <laughs> literary uh, book to. Uh, b b b the uh, the book to the screen, please. Um, that is uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, God. So, to... God. Oh, my goodness. So, I... If anyone knows me, um, I am... I still am. You know, screw it, whatever. I'm, I still love Game of Thrones. Even the way it ended, uh, whatever. Books, incredible. Um show at least the first four seasons and season six incredible but here there are two kind of similarities to to lord of the rings in regards to peter jackson versus uh dan and dave uh that being uh david benioff and db weiss the two creators um one of those you had mentioned that uh, peter jackson had to go to the tolkien family to get their permission uh, Dan and Dave both had to had together go to uh, George R. R. Martin, author of the Game of Thrones books, uh, to request his permission to kind of adapt and, and put the series on television. They love the books, you know, credit to them. They read them, um, but they only could read up to what everyone else could read up to, and that was not the conclusion. Um, so, but the uh, one of my favorite little tidbits about Dan and Dave getting the permission was. Are you aware of the question? Yeah, they had to figure out who was um, John Johnson's Snow's mother. Mother, they, yeah. The the end of the so, George basically said, told the story. He's like, I loved him. I loved their passion. They knew a lot. But I asked them, and they'll confirm this. I asked them uh, to get at the end of the interview. The last question was, Do you know who Jon Snow's mother is? And they got it right. Um, I'm gonna spoil it. I don't care. It's Lyanna Stark. Um, but it's this whole, I just love that story. And it, when I was a really, really big fan, when the show was really, really, really good, um, I, I clung on to every little 
tidbit of news and, and drama that had to do with the authors, the creators, anything like that, just to get a little clue or a little sentiment. Um, but no, I just, the show is great. It's, the adaptation, you know, was good really, and bad. Good and, you know, it was, it's great. Fuck it. It's great. It's a good show that had a really unfortunate writer block slash apathy block slash yeah. those guys didn't give a shit not man. the last season each I, mean, I know they didn't give it a hurts. shit when, when hbo told them we were fine with you doing um 10 episodes for the last two seasons like we want you to do this and they're like no we just thought it was going to be 72 episodes this was our arc so we're going to keep it like the hbo was actually pushing them to extend it they're like no you could do more like we'll still give you money and they actually denied they, HBO wanted more, and that's why they're doing the, the expansion series, uh, Fire and Blood, about the Targaryens. I, I actually have high hopes for that show. Um, it's an interesting story. But let's... And that's I, also I, I, based I, off of uh, George R. R. Martin's writing. Right. Oh, yeah, that's that's um, basically his Cimmerillion, uh, which is the, the, the book, uh, Fire and Blood, that talks about... Or no, the show is House of the Dragon, the book... That it's based off is Fire and Blood, the history of House Targaryen coming over from um, where Pentos or wherever it was, or an island off Pentos. Um, but I know you didn't read the books. I but the reason I didn't read the books it was actually the reason was because he didn't finish the story, and I'm don't you, yeah you're, I don't know you're who an... he is. So I'm like I was like I'm actually not gonna commit to this. I'll commit to the TV show because I don't want to commit. I'm one of those people like if a series is out and I will just if I like it I will read everything in mm. there and then I get like almost anxious I'm like oh come on I need the next one where's the next one and right. I'm like I can't do this I don't I, I, how you long am I going to be waiting you at least need to know that it's coming because you've done the same thing to Red Rising I mean yeah know. but I know he's actually right. the right one yeah he's actually reliable you know he's not tweeting about you know other TV projects he's writing for it's like or, I, Elden, I, or a video game I, Elden Ring that he's creating I, I like trolling on Twitter I'm not going to lie um, but I feel bad for him because it's this old guy who's just kind of tweeting about what he's excited about. And then as soon as he tweets about anything other than, you know, The Winds of Winter, which is supposed to be his new book, he uh, he gets eviscerated by all of his fans. And it's funny to read because they can be pretty clever. Yeah, but he also does it to himself by right. always putting a date or something and then never actually getting to that date. Right, well, he was supposed to release it five years ago, dude. Yeah, it's just... And that was one December reason. December 2017 was the planned date. So, you know... George, he's fine. Whatever. He's old. He's getting, you know, he's getting lazy. That doesn't, you know, it's not an excuse, really, because you see what Stephen King is still doing. He's still putting out good books. But, uh, you know, I, I'd like to talk seasons one through four just a little yeah. bit because they connect so well with the books. And the first book and the first season are easily the most uh, consistent in regards to storyline and, and deviation from. Um, but I... I think that one of the things that made Game of Thrones so great was that the characters were just as good, if not a little bit worse, than the characters in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, I mean, I do agree with that. Um, I do think it was one of those other series that you did kind of um, fall in love with characters and wanted to see where their arcs was. I mean, um, Ned Stark in the first season. Heartbreaker. Like, heartbreaker, but everyone... You fell in love right away, like you wanted to see where the story was going, and then because of George R. R. Martin's writing beforehand, um, allowing and building um, kind of minor characters to become major characters in later seasons and later the books, um, 
that you were always compelled to like almost have a couple characters that you really wanted to see where they were going almost every like the first right. four seasons especially like oh where is this going to go now mm-hmm. oh where are we leading to this now so I think like because of the books and because they had this kind of blueprint that it, you were able to fall in love with characters and kind of wanting to see where their journey is going. How does this Stark family is going to head? What is the whole deal with Targaryens versus the, um, with her, the Targaryen, and then the Lannisters and everything like that, that you actually kind of fell in love with these little kind of side characters that were being right. major characters down the road, and you wanted to see where it was going with that. Right, because in the first in the first book, I know you haven't read him, but first book, Ned is easily the most uh, prominent uh, point of view character because George writes it all in point of view, so you read it from from different characters around Jamie, Cersei, Arya, um, Ned, Ned, R- John, and Daenerys. Um, I don't. I, Rob is not a point of view character, interestingly enough. Um, and Catelyn, Catelyn Stark, Catelyn gives you the point of view of Rob essentially. Um, but you fall in love with the Starks so much because John, Arya. Um, Ned and Catelyn. They're all super interesting, great reads. They're noble people. They have flaws, like everyone that's interesting in any book has flaws. Um, and then you also read enemies. You read Cersei, you read Jaime, you read Tyrion, who you perceive to be an enemy. Um, so the, the Lannisters, you like it. Like there are, in the books, it's hard because Cersei has endearing qualities. In the, in the show, she's a little more evil and diabolical. But Cersei and Jamie, they they have endearing qualities in the book, and you know I think that with the show you're kind of limited to what you can kind of you know portray and how you want to portray your characters because you're you only have ten episodes per season and it's a hell of a production and you don't know what you're we're gonna they didn't know they were gonna get a season two until it was all over and it exploded, so it's crazy to think that. I think Dan and Dave did a good job of showing those little intricacies of these characters that kind of make them, uh, you know, you, you can empathize with them a little bit, um, or at least sympathize. But it, I don't know. I, I get so caught up thinking about Game of Thrones because I get bitter about it too. Uh, season one's great. Season two is more of the same. You get a dagger to the heart in season three at the end with a certain wedding. That's the color of blood. Um, and that is maybe the most significant book moment that I've ever read. Uh, absolute insanity reading that that chapter, even though I knew it was coming. Because once again, I watched Game of Thrones first, and then I wanted to read the books. I mean, the Red Wedding itself, I mean, I, I don't really care that people um, nowadays, that became its own pop culture thing. Like people talk about like other TV shows having their Red Wedding moments. Right. I mean, South Park did a whole freaking... Um, two episode oh, arc on the Red Wedding, the Red Robin, and, yes, PlayStation, PlayStation versus, versus Microsoft, Xbox, yeah. Yeah. at the yeah, at Red Robin, good. at Red Robin, and like they still had all that, that kind of so stuff. Funny. So like, you could tell like there still was that <laughs> culture. Yes, and Stan's dad, and Stan manning the Walmart because he's the wall. He's defending the wall. Yeah, and then he <laughs> he gets he puts the fake um eye patch on that makes him look like he doesn't have an eye. Right, <laughs> my son. My son's in the Red Robin. I gotta get there for the wedding. Red Robin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And then they shit on George R. R. Martin too. Right. That one the wieners. The wieners. Wieners. Talking, talking. Wieners. 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 It's oh. just, but like, <laughs> and I think that is a perfect um, like example of how um, creators of 
TV shows and stuff from books, when they have these blueprints and able to go back and fall upon them, they are able to create these great shows. Right. But you could see, once they got away from it and they didn't have this and they had to basically create their own, that's when they kind of really fell off. They kind of started to doubt. I believe they started doubting themselves. That's why Probably. They, they wanted to stop doing but they it. they by George. That's the problem I have. I, yeah. that, and that gives me two reasons for concern. One, that is how George is kind of going crazy. And he... Actually, that's three reasons then. George is kind of losing it a little bit. That's the least likely. Second, that's how it actually ends. And George was testing it on screen before he wrote it. Yeah, now he's definitely rewriting it. Or third, that's not how it ends. It was easier for them to do it. And now he has a guide. That's mm-hmm. my most hopeful. Is that yeah. he was testing that idea of an ending... Saw that people hated it, and now he's going to totally revamp his ending with the books, um, and maybe actually stick to what was coming, aka Jamie. Jamie, take it's the take now. It's February first, twenty twenty two. If anything ever comes back out, that's a retcon. It's Jamie is Azora High, Jamie. Um, but no, it's it's tough, and I I thought I wanted to talk seasons five through eight. I want to just mention season six briefly because it was brilliant. Had the two best episodes of television I've ever seen. Battle of the Bastards and The Winds of Winter being season or episodes 9 and 10. Uh, easily best episodes of television I've ever seen in regards to production as well as story. Only things that compete maybe are episodes of True Detective, Watchmen, or uh, Breaking Bad, but the, it's close. Um, but, you know, other than mentioning season 6, I want to just stick to the idea of the book being, the books in the, the show being so tightly intertwined and but brilliantly being put on screen. And then, to flip on it, let's talk Ready Player One, because that's an absolute 180 from our conversation. Ready Player One, the book, versus Ready Player One, the movie, so different. And I didn't read the book, so I'm going to let Will take it. Yeah, the thing is, um, a lot of times, a lot of troubles is books, because you kind of have, in a lot of monologues, you have a lot more kind of kind of room to kind of grow and kind of the, to kind of set up your kind of whole um, stick of what, what's going on in your books and everything that um, a lot of times the screenwriters and directors like want to tr- stick to that so much that it actually doesn't come off good with the um, kind of the viewers. Ready Player One did s- such a good job of having the same sentiment and feel of the book and the movie without basically being anything alike. Like, they're, all the things that were in the book basically were not in the movie. Right. But the, the um, he, same screenwriter and guy who wrote the book, I'm blanking on his name right now, um, he, he wrote the screenplay. And he... Whoa, I did not know yeah, that. So um, the guy, the author of the book... Wrote the screenplay. But it... But completely changed was everything. Was he helped up? Like, was no, he, he did it, his own, it was only him. Um, and the okay. reason... So... I did not the, know a that. Little you background, never told me that. Oh, I thought it did. So a little background: the books, um, how the movie is. There's you got your three gates, and you got to get you get to the gates, and you got to get a key. And the books is you have to get the key first. So there's the thing that goes on the key, then you get to the gate, and there's another thing to the gate. So there's basically double amount of kind of things you need to do. It's like, like a national uh, treasure, basically, um, <laughs> kind of like that. Um, but he was so into um, 80s kind of uh, arcades, Japanese games, and stuff. So oh, okay. so a lot of the kind of pop culture references the modern audiences would have no clue about because they're so kind of small and kind of just weird um, Japanese arcade games. Like niche, and, just really... Like very niche okay. stuff that you really had to be in that kind of arcade culture to understand this. And some of the properties that they used, like um, war games and stuff with uh, um, 
fuck, what's his Ferris Bueller? Why am I blanking his name? Um, Wait, the, 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 the Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Um, he talks about that in in the book and stuff, and they actually used The Shining in the movie. Oh, that's um, we have to talk about. So that, that change and stuff. So he did an amazing job. Where I felt the same way at the end of the book as I did in the movie, and I came out of the movie. I'm like, so there was not one thing of any gate was not the same in the movie right. compared to the books. Um, but Why do you he, think he did that? One because I don't think modern audiences would be able to artisans uh, like. No, modern audiences. Modern, oh, okay. Wouldn't be able. Like they the wouldn't audience, relate. Modern. They wouldn't relate to kind of what the book was. So I think Spielberg and him did a great job of bringing the same feel of the book and changing it in the movie, so you get that. So like the first race is not in the book. Right. Know? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the technology. Yeah, it wouldn't make. It wouldn't make. It was eighties, right? The eighties. Yeah, so of course the technology. I mean, he, there he wrote it. In, even for the idea of VR racing, when it came out, but like he all based on the eighties when he grew up. Um, so like the first whole, like I said, the whole first race isn't in there. Um, they really jump right away to there, um, like to right into the world. Like there's more world building at the start of the book, like him in the stacks as you're in, oh, the, okay. you're in there more, um, kind of going through his yes, crap that, with his family yes, and dealing that, with that, that whole, is his dinette, is the, like, is still an orphan, like, still like, an orphan, still living with his aunt, still in the stacks. Like abusive POS. Of, same exact okay. thing. Everything. So, so it tosses. It tosses gets, the viewer, a, like the reader, a bone. Yeah, so the, you still get the same almost like links to the next kind of scenes and stuff. There are a lot of oh, similarities. I think I gotta read this then. You really do. Um, the links and stuff, but like the actual main like um, goals, like the gates that you have to go through, are completely different. Right, the content, but, but you but get the story is similar. So the same aspect oh, that's with really um, Nolan, um, Sorrento, like he's still an asshole in here. Um, this, like the creators of the uh, Ready Player One, the. Um, Whatever the freaking VR uh, thing, IOI. I no IOI is Nolan Sorrento. Like that whole is the same. The they're still hunting the gates so they right. can control the Animus servant, not the Animus. That's a uh, Assassin's Creed. They can the, the what whole, is the Oasis? The Oasis. They can control it. So is that's, it called the Oasis? Yeah, and, that okay. is all the same. Um, the like, but he be, but he just wrote everything differently. That you got the same thing. Like I actually think the best difference is the um extra life that he gets oh that's so, such a great little tidbit phenomenal having the quarter bet just the, the, mm, the quarter Simon peg too Simon, small Simon peg because he found something in the journals and in the books he actually has a handwritten journal for everything that um the okay. everything so, so instead, instead of, of going, going to, to the journals he, they did them themselves. He does the research they, himself, yeah. and he has his own journal. Cross reference stuff. Cross reference. I'm like, I'm like, that's perfect. You would not be able to have him writing his journal, looking up. Be, in a it journal. wouldn't be fun. To it watch. wouldn't be fun to watch. Plus, no. you get to learn more about um, the character of the who is the creator. I forget his name. The guy he passes. Passes. He's a great actor too. He was just in um, Mark Ryland. Um, what what was this the character's name? He was just in uh, Don't Look Up. He was the crazy, he was supposed to be like the Elon Musk character who's trying to, with the technology to bomb. Oh, like Anorak? When, that's like his um, AI character. Why am I blanking on the, the actual guy's name? Yeah, the, not the wizard, but um, you know what I mean. Yes. You have to look it up now. Are you looking I, it yes, up? Yes, I am looking it up. Cause I'm, yeah, it's bothering me too. It really is bothering me. Um, James Halliday. Halliday. Yeah. Halliday. Um, yeah, so... I mean, it, learning, it's, I don't do so, another question, like, kind of, like, on that, too, is Halliday, like, do you learn just as much about him yes. through, um, the Ogden main character? Uh, well, through, not Og, but. Through, 
Um, God, such he's such a non. Wait, like, what, the characters he, about? Yeah, Wade. Um, yes, Wade, Wade Watts. Wade Watts, but that's the whole because his dad in the book and in the movies they talk about how he loved the superheroes. So right. the alliteration, Wade Watts. Um, yes, that you get that same feeling. The same. You also get the same thing with um, uh, him and his group of people, um, like him, H his clan. Yeah, the clan. That's the same thing. The, all the difference is. Um, he actually, Wade is actually the one that goes into IOI, not um, Artemis, not Samantha. He's actually the one that gets trapped in. I thought it was brilliant to have the her. Book, the movie switch? The movie switch. Yeah. It actually that plays really well. Played perfectly. I have actually, to read the book because I You actually I, got the I, feeling I would, of, I like, appreciate it. of the kind of tug with um, them two and everything of Samantha and Wade. Um, He's a, the guy who, the who's the author of the book? The author of the book is... This is like a one-hit wonder. He doesn't really he doesn't really put out much that's Ernest decent. Ernest Klein. This okay. was his so, sec- this was his second book of all time. So he he writes this book, then you know however many how many years between the movie and the book? Uh, I think it was like four. He got he, four only four. Um, the book came the moment the book got published, the, the studio bought it. It was bought before it was published. Oh really? They bought the screenplay rights before the book was even published. That's okay. how they knew it was going to be a hit. Okay, well, I mean, even he wa- he came back to rewrite and like do it for a, a more modern audience, and I love that. Now, I, I will say, if I have one contr- one critique of the movie, it's kind of pandery. Um, it, it's almost like reference overload. Yes, I mean, hundred percent. But that's for that, modern audiences. That's fine. And it's also some of it is super super enjoyable. It also was Warner Brothers is um, Right, yeah, it's their, their way of like, you look at all the properties like, we have. It was like a Space yeah. Jam, the new LeBron Space yeah. Jam before Space Jam. Um, but you know, you had the Iron Giant, uh, you had um, Chucky. I remember doesn't he Chuck he yeah, throws like, Chucky out yeah, of the car to kill That was other perfect. People. Like Iron Giant wasn't actually the um, uh, robot that um, H uses is actually a it was one of the Voltron. He uses Voltron instead. Um, no, that was... Uh, sorry, that was... Um, Shiro. That was Shiro. He uses uh, uh, a Gundam. Yes, but he actually uses a different Japanese... Oh, um, in the book? In the book, he does okay, not... You gotta Iron... specify, because I, I, I said... I'd like, okay. No, no, no. So Iron Giant's not even in the book. He uses a different Japanese... Um, oh, me- the, oh in the, different, okay. In the book. Now I understand. So I'm like, when I saw the Iron Giant, I was like, this is perfect. I'm like, a a giant robot that everybody freaking knows. Okay. I'm like, if you... It's this is awesome. completely changed. I'm like, this is perfect. This so is, cool. We all know this. We know who the Iron Giant is. And he, you know, right when I saw the Andre, I'm like, I know how this is going to get mm-hmm. used. I'm like, oh, awesome. That's yeah, cool. and um, and that was another little thing that I liked with H building it rather mm-hmm. than it being a power up. Because Shiro yeah. makes the in the movie, obviously, I only know the movie. Shiro like uses the Gundam power up to battle um, the metal the Mecha Godzilla. Mecha Godzilla, yeah. And thank and, you. and he still has Mecha Godzilla in in the book. Cool. Um, but in the same thing, um. Is like that. He, in the book, he, they ha- they win the character in some like um, game or something. They all got to pick a um, different oh, robot. Cool. So they all got their own robot basically and got to pick because during one of the tasks, like that was one of the things you got to pick something. And so I, Sorrento got Mecha Godzilla and everything like Love that. It. Um, and I was actually saying before, I really like how he flips some things like like the extra life. So in in the movie, he goes and he basically shows the curator, which is Simon Pegg character. Right. Um, no, um, that hey, I got something wrong. He goes, "Oh, you're right," and he gives it to him. Yeah, it was a bet, and it was a bet in in the book, which is crazy. Was because it's so much in that um, kind of '80s arcade culture. He goes through a perfect run of Pac-Man. 
Oh, amazing. Per and then there's just a gold coin sitting there. So Wade's just like a total nerd. Total nerd. And like all the shit's, all the shit's happening game. in the background. I like and he, and he's literally going through a, a perfect run of Pac-Man. And then he just gets this random coin. And he goes, what is this used for? And just goes into his inventory. And just like he didn't know what this coin was used for. Boom, he pops up at the end. And right. And they succeed. He wins the, yeah. And so. I, damn it. <clears throat> and that's what I'm saying. I, Coming I, from both. Like <laughs> it was really cool to me seeing the difference between the screen the movie and the book and like i said but i still got the same feelings and i still thought both were enjoyable that's i mean that only makes me want to read this book more even though you've like spoiled a little bit of it i don't care no there's so much like little yeah. things i haven't even talked about like and i like that in the movie that they don't make wade like this perfect video gamer like he's good like you can tell he's really good but he's not like a perfect run of pac-man is like the ultimate game like they didn't build him to be like this guy who can never lose there was always that tension and a brilliant move by, once again, the author Edgar, what's his face? Uh, Ernest Klein. Ernest Edgar Klein. Um, yeah, it just, and I think there's, I think I don't think enough movies do that with their books. I think a lot of times they're like, well, this was the book. We have to do it to the T. I think if you do take some liberties, you could give your audiences a better story. And even Ernest Klein, he said to himself, he goes, this was a better story for the um, for." The screen. He goes, this was not... I could not have taken our book and done just the exact same thing for the screen. He goes, this was better for the screen for the general audience. And I think more directors and screenwriters could take that into effect and be like, okay, I like this. How do I get the same feeling that the book gave me and change it so modern audiences could actually get that same feeling and still feel that same nostalgia, bring back, or right. whatever they're trying not, to go it's for. Not, it's not, like, too old we don't know, but it's not, like, new enough that we don't get that extra little butterfly like yeah that, that little oh, like that warming sensation where you're just like oh when you recognize an old character you love so many of those cool moments it's a bit I get, i'd say it's about 88 percent cool 12 percent pan like pandering oh, 100 but that 12 percent is not, it's not it's i'm not, not saying like water player one's one of my favorite movies or anything i just right. think it's a, a good movie book adaptation I, I think it's a really good movie i, I enjoy it it's one of my score i would probably give ready player one 77 okay yeah, I'd, I'd be right around there. I think I'd give it a 74. I, I just enjoy it, and I it's love... A, it's a really... That's a really... It's not a great or excellent movie. Excellent being a It's 90, also one of those being, watches really that is easy. And it's so enjoyable. And it's enjoyable it's on, easy it's watch. It's always on TNT. I always watch it. Yeah, and you could be doing something like, oh, that's cool. I always remember like this. Scene, like this scene, this one little scene. Yeah. Plus the... Uh, I mean, even though it's mostly um, CGI effects... Uh, well, it makes it sense looks, because it looks, you're... It's a video game. You're in VR. Right, but like, in completely... even in the real world, it's a lot. Yeah. But, like, it still looks great. Yeah, and It then still looks phenomenal. I'm wondering if they're going to make a Ready Player 2. I mean, he they did, will. He did write, ready, it's right there. It's he, wrote, right. he wrote it already. It's already out and everything. It, it was, ready Player 2. Ready Player 2 is what it was called. Um, <laughs> of course it is. I mean, come on. It had to be called that. Like, what else would... He, ready Player 1 Part 2? No <laughs> way. What would the, uh, would the prequel be like? Hit the start button. <laughs> please press start please please press start that would be the prequel to ready player one please um, press start um yeah so that's uh that's ready player one you know that i'm getting a bit sick of talking movies that we like um let's <laughs> shit
You want to shit on something. some movies? Let's shit, shit on, on some books to movies. Let's shit on, yeah, books to movies. We Let's both shit. know what we want to shit yes. on right now. And you that know, is... That would be Mr. Dan Brown's creation. Tell him what Dan Brown wrote, Will. Fucking the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Everybody's... <laughs> freaking so, John Oliver's whole thing on that. Ah! Every, every dad who was in the airport was asking you, did you read Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code? Oh and then Tom Cruise... I mean, Tom, Tom Hanks comes in with this freaking hairdo. Like, what... <laughs> What designer was like, this is the hairdo we want to go with? Like, we want, we want to make Tom Hanks look kind of janky. No, he was, that was not, did you, do you not know this? No, I thought, this is, he chose it himself? Yes. What? <laughs> he didn't, he, that was, he went on and goes, this is what my this is, is going to look like. This is what I look like. No. And, and let's talk about his job. What's, what is John, and John Oliver brings up his job. What is his job? His job is like a, um, It's non-existent. It's a, it's like, a, it's a professional, like, puzzle solver. He's like, a. He's like a historian. No, 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 no. There's a name for it. There's a name for his stupid job. Um, I will find it right now. Oh, my Lord. It is so bad. <laughs> Who even? He's a symbologist. Symbologist. Wow. Yes. He's a symbologist. Thank and God for... Tom Hanks and his doesn't know what I want to be haircut and his <laughs> PhD in symbology. What is this? I I don't the movie the movie is stupid. The movie is so stupid. The book I'm not even going to bother reading it because I saw the movie and I imagine it's not too far off. The only decent part of this movie or even, you know, an enjoyable character and he's not even great is the guy uh, Paul Bettany as oh, the yeah. self-chastising the uh, monk, monk guy, who's lunatic, like, who puts that Jesus didn't have babies. Jesus didn't have babies. Stripe on his, yeah. <laughs> like that metal, like stabs him. It's a chain that stabs him. At yeah, every it's, link. It's so weird. The movie's so weird. And he, I couldn't get over his hair. And he, even if you ignore it, which it's damn. Damn near impossible to ignore that. The whole that thing, haircut. like, why why are you calling... He chose it, it himself! Why are you calling it a, a symbologist from America to come over to Rome and, like, hey, you want to figure this out for us? Like, what? He doesn't... He doesn't even... He just... And his timing is just meant to be dramatic. Like, he, the dude has there, definitely yes. solved... The, but he takes this lady, lady to, like, the park to give her the answer to the riddle to, like, be more dramatic. I mean, it, yeah, it turns out she's actually the answer to the riddle. So she is the actual line of... And he delivers the line like, You, you are... are the clue. Yeah, or some stupid shit like that. Oh my <laughs> like, god. I, I hate... Like, yeah, the... The... the whatever you call it. She's the bloodline the of The descendant Christ. of Christ. Of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And that's whatever. what they're all... What, god. Whatever. Just that hair. I mean, that one's bad. The, one of the other ones I remember reading when I was a kid... Not a kid, when I was in like a high school was the, di- <laughs> the Divergent series... Oh, um, no. And I actually oh, like no. I actually I actually like the That's... books. So I read the first two books I and then the first movie. And then I saw the first movie after I read the first two books and it was so bad. I lost I just was like I'm not finishing this. I'm not finishing the books. I hate this. Why did you do this? Yeah. And that was in the same time period it's where YA. When, yeah, but like that was YA right after freaking um, Harry Potter popped off and Hunger Games popped off. All these studios were like Give me some YA novels. Give me some YA novels. We gotta make them. We need series. We it's, need to make everything a series. We have to do this. I mean, it's just these like, kids want to go to the theater two, three times to see this movie. Do you know what that does at the box office? It's just there's, yeah. there were so many. I saw Catching Fire. I was in 
So, we were the sophomores or juniors sophomores. in high school. I remember, I remember the Hunger Maybe Games. Maybe I'm way off. Everybody was reading that in high school. But, but Catching Fire was phenomenal. Such a good movie. Phenomenal. I, I saw it twice in theaters just because I love the action. Yeah, that, that, that's all I cared about. I was 16 years old. Yeah, that one. That a, one was great. I mean, appreciation for that, that whole time period. I mean, you had Divergent was bad. You had um, Percy Jackson bad. Bad. You had Maze Runner that had one good but one the first, good movie. The first one was good. Yeah, it set up. I'll always primers, watch it. And then it's it, a guilty after that, it was. Bad. It's not even a guilty pleasure. It's just no, I actually liked the first movie, but then I think Scorch Trials and the Death Cure. They were like, because actually the the general audiences were kind of getting sick of these YAs that they kind of just rushed them. They're like, all right, let's just get them out. Yep. Um, dude, you know who just, made that fucking series so bad? Same no. guy who tried to take the throne in Game of Thrones. Fucking Aiden Gill and Peter Baelish. Dude, yes, he is, he is yeah. so bad and he's so unbelievable. Like, he's just no, such an unbelievable villain. He's so pathetic. And, like, that was even before... Like, even taking him out of the equation, he would still be pathetic. You know he's really good in, but he plays the same character? Is The Dark Knight Rises. No, he does Bane, Bane is yeah. in the beginning and he's with Bane in the mm-hmm. plane. And he pretends to shoot that guy and then throw him out of the plane. Bane's like, what? my question is, why would you shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane? Yeah, that wasn't that bad. Not that bad. Oh, he thought it was good? I thought it was really you bad. You guys might not hear it on here, but in the room, I don't think it was that bad. I'm not going to say what the audio is telling me, but That's, what I heard uh, I next to that. me wasn't that bad. <laughs> I, I thought it kind of sucked, but it was just, uh, I was trying to do the, the bit. Um, no, I... The YA, you, you know, it's like a 50-50 hit. It's either, you know, doomed. And I think the nail in the coffin, and not to be, not to do a bit with that phrasing, but the nail in the coffin was Twilight. And mm. <laughs> what a bad book series and what well, a no, bad movie don't, series. Don't say it's a bad book series because there's people that absolutely fucking love Twilight. Oh, I don't care. Twilight. I don't, I don't care. care. I'll say it right it's now. Not, no. Bad. There's um, a, um, I've never... See, I've I've saw video of how many times that author uses the word chuckled. Oh, yes. Chuckled. I think it's like over a hundred and fifty times in like one Edward chuckled. Yeah, but every every high school girl loved that. Oh yeah, it was horny. It was yeah. like uh, fifty shades. vampires. It was give me my vampires and was... werewolves. <laughs> Bite my neck, you bitch. Yeah, turn me into a vamp. <laughs> Make me poisoned by the sun. I don't want to go outside. The anyway. funny thing I'm about dark. all those YAs was. Um, they were like, well, Harry Potter did the two-part last book, so I think we all could do those, right? And everyone's like, yeah, Harry Potter did that for a reason. We all were connected. This is the seventh book. We needed to have this full book because it was that good. And they're like, we could do that with Twilight. Everyone's part like, wait, wait, one, what are we doing? Part two. We could do that with Divergent. Like, you didn't even make it to the third one. The, the second part was going to be a TV movie that didn't even happen because Shailene Woodley's like, no, I'm not... My contract was a movie. I'm right. not going to shoot something for TV. So, there's, TNT. so they just was like, TNT. They're like, yeah, we're just going to not do this anymore. <laughs> Exclusive just, release. It just was so Divergent, many of those during part the years. Two. And do you diverge from these shitty movies? But uh, I think I think let's get off of the shitty movies. And okay. Freaking Tom fucking Hanks hair. Oh yeah. Well, um, we'll never get off of that. No. But. Yeah. I do think we should get off the shitty movie talk and let's talk some books we want to be made into good movies or books we wouldn't mind if they were made into kind of shitty movies. Because <laughs> I, I actually have one in mind, but I'll, I'll save that till the end. But books we want to, uh, to be turned into good movies 
And Will, I know you were more interested in this subject than I was. I really only have one choice. Yeah, there's um, a couple so coming out that I'm actually looking forward coming to. Out. Um, well, no, coming out. Well, not coming out. They're coming out. They're not coming out. I'm saying that they're in pre-development or they're thinking it's about... It's approved. They're, no, they're thinking about making them. That That's like pre-pre-pre-development. Yeah, pre-pre-pre-development. Well, you can't say pre-development. That's okay. like... That's like no, 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 no. no, no. I, I, you could say pre-development. You see pre-pre-development. How many pre's are we gonna have in these developments? I mean, whatever we're gonna do, but um, I know what you mean. Okay, so yeah. there's there's talk that they might be made. Yes, essentially. Um, the one that I'm really looking forward to, I think, is just a really cool concept. It's called Scythe. Um, and yeah, I'll, tell me about this. I'll just kind of lay the groundwork. So Scythe is based on kind of the future where basically the human race has gotten rid of um, death like we're able to extend our life you're able to regenerate into a certain age that you ever were so if you get to 100 you could go back to being 30 and then you could relive those again and you your life could keep going keep going keep going like buy it um yeah yes but you get to a point where you could just basically call like regen and you regen to a your younger self um and but the only way that they're able to quell um population um is because they, yeah, okay, they have sense. what they call the order of the size, and they get to go around, and they have a quota that they just get to tell you, and get basically some of them give you a day, some of them don't give you any time, and they get to kill you, and you're never gonna be there again. So you're just randomly. It's so random. Some people like some people who haven't been. Like, some some people could be living a thousand lives, years, five hundred yeah. years, and then they get cold. Other people, you might be your first lifetime, you get cold. It's completely random, but this order of size get to control the death. Is there a number? No, I'm, like, Everyone has, they have a quota right, of what no, they need to. Okay, but like an average number of people who get killed, like is there a certain number every year that people... Yeah, every year. So it's like, it, what is the one in odds that oh, it's you're like, pulled? Like a hundred million or something. Oh, damn. Is this on, does this take place on Earth? Yeah, it's just in distant, distant, distant future. Um... And, okay. and, like, each kind of section of the world is not, like, really, like, countries anymore. It's, like, uh, the eastern, like, sections, like, in the sides have their own kind of... It's kind a global... Of, it's a global kind country. of... Country. Kind of like that. And they... And certain sides do it differently. Some... It's like... Some I, are really nice. Some only have some eight are really, yeah. Michael Jensen's... Or, <laughs> yes. Or, um, Michael... Or, what is uh, it? Uh, Michael Vincent's? J. Michael Vincent's! We only Vincent. have... Eight Jan Michael Vincent's, but ten quadrants. Yeah, exactly. So, something, something like that. Yeah, but okay. the really cool thing is, like, some of the sides, like, the one of the main guys that you follow, like, he's very compassionate about it. Like, he gives them a full day with their families and stuff, and they know what's coming, and they go at peace everywhere. There's other ones that literally will kill, uh, will just take down a plane. Nobody knows they're going to die, and they just take down a plane, and you're just dead. So, are these sides, are they magical people? Are they, no. like... They, no, How they're do just, they just take down... Like, they just hit... Is it like James Bond, License to Kill? Like, they can just do it? They can just do it. They have the cop launch, um, carte launch on doing anything. They're allowed to kill any single person, a president. Are they assigned people? No, nope. you, you get to choose just as a hit. person. So you have to hit your quota. Okay. And if you go too if you go too far over, like, you actually get reprimanded. And if you go too far under, you also get reprimanded. Like you're, there's you have a, to hit the number. There, there's the a number, range. a range where you have to, to keep population down. And the whole story is about this. Um, these two... Um, young adults who are going into the sides of the kingdom is that whole story. I'm really interested because I think the so world... is it like royalty? 
No, it's just random people get picked to be sides. And sides live for as long as... Society thrives on randomness. Yes, and sides get, to, sides get to live casino. as long as they want until they choose that they do not want to... It's a global casino. It's like, am I going to die anymore? today by some person that just gets to kill me? And, like, the majority of the people don't ever, like, come in contact with sides. They never, like, this is not ever going to be a problem for you. Like, it's such a small chance, but... Do you have to be rich chance. to regen yourself? Um, yeah, that is a part of it where, I mean, yeah, but everybody, like can, everybody can though. But you just put yourself in debt. Like that, but like, it, they like servitude. Of, they basically say like, it's pretty easy. Like it feels kind of also like the, what is it? Um, like ready player one where, where, you know, you can go broke in the oasis and yeah. put yourself to work and like, but mine it, so I'm, oasis. I'm interested to see how that is. They're talking about making that. Um, it feels it, so. I'm, I'm interested with that. If one. It, it feels different enough to be uh, an attention grabber, but similar enough where people aren't like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. So that's one that I'm interested in, and then I think the one that we're both like, I can't wait till they actually make this a thing. Like they've been keep talking about, "Hey, we're gonna do this." Is the Red Rising series? Oh yeah. Like, I mean, we're eventually gonna get into that actual whole talk of Red Rising, but I really hope. Um, they're going to make this a TV show. Pierce Brown is still talking let's, about let's, it. And let's everything. give a little bit of, like, um, you know, over, like, just high level stuff. Let's just give an overview of, what Red, of Rising. Red Rising. So, Red Rising is a, um, one of, I would say it's in my top three favorite series oh, of on. all time. Red Rising, kind of a futuristic sci fi fantasy. Really, it explores a lot of different topics. For being kind of a young adult type trilogy, first yes. trilogy, the second trilogy feels a little bit more like the 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 initial reader kind of grew with the books. Um, so it's it's a it follows a society of people who are of different colors, and that may feel ham fisted, but everyone can like you can be blue or like oh, it's just an arbitrary color, but yeah, it gold determines the, your job. Yeah, gold are the gold top, red being number bottom. one, silver's being number two. And then it just kind of takes yeah. Every color, color has a different like um, blues are pilots, so they're um, gr- uh, coppers that deal with all the um, finances. Gold. Obsidians are the uh, the gold's warriors essentially. Yeah. And so the, reds are different, the like, bottom. Reds are the bottom of the bottom. So the first book, Red Rising, is just it, it brings you. It's a really great way of introducing this brilliant world. And Will and I are both definitely on the same page in regards to the the making of a series. That it, it it's so good, but I'm 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 nervous, dude. I'm, I'm super nervous. nervous. I hope it goes to the right studio. The problem. Who would be the right like HBO? I think HBO would be perfect. I think Amazon actually will allow yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They stuff. have enough money. Um, I would not want it on Netflix. Netflix doesn't give enough run. No, for absolutely things. not. That's actually the I'd like Hulu. I I'm a little iffy on Hulu, but that the newest um that pill show. Damn it. And I put uh, you dope on sick. Yeah. yeah, dope sick. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, I I think Apple TV also would do a good job with it. Um, they I mean, need something big. You have Ted Lasso, which was phenomenal. If, if they decided to do it big, Apple those, TV I think, could do it really. I well. think Apple TV, HBO Max, and um, Amazon Prime. I think those are the three that I would really like it to be in. Yeah. And eventually we'll find out because they are in kind of actual pre-production of writing and stuff. So I'm really excited for that one. I hopefully. That is good. I'm crossing my fingers because I absolutely love Red Rising. Oh yeah, we both do. It's a great, great story. Some of it, you can so if 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 we're inspiring you to buy a new book or read a new book or listen to a book, um, and you're interested in Red Rising, which we both really enjoy, um, 
It's it starts it feels a little bit YA. The first one definitely does. Young adult is what we mean by YA. It feels a little bit YA in the first book, just in kind of regards to introducing the characters. Then it gets kind of intense and it stays pretty intense throughout the rest of the trilogy. Um, there are a couple kind of goofy little moments, but nothing that's you know cheesy. I mean, they had to move it out of the YA section because of so much. It, there's stuff. a lot of gore and really intense violence, and it's described pretty you know graphically and detailed. So. Uh, it's a it's a recommendation. If if we had to say you know one book we've talked about today, other than like the legendary Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, we would we would probably recommend. Would you recommend Red Rising over Ready Player One? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. If somebody ever asked me for a book they've never read, I Red Rising's the first one I always say. Oh, I just realized we didn't talk about The Shining. That's all right. That's fine. We can talk about The Shining. And we're going to talk Stephen King, King episode. Man. Yeah, we'll talk about The Shining placement from. So what one uh, are you Ready interested in? Oh, so here, and it's a, I'm, 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 I might be breaking the rules here. I, I am breaking the rules, but I, Break I don't them. care. Break I don't care. them rules. Um, we got no rules here. I mean, you were talking. <laughs> we make the rules. Yeah. We're the dictators of our own little this is our pathetic collection. island. This is our um, selection in the collections. <laughs> well, no. The viewers involved, or listener, viewer, we'll do video at one point. What I want to do is break the rules twice. I told you you couldn't select something that was confirmed to be in some sort of production. Oh, yeah. I am. And I'm also <laughs> not selecting a book. But I don't think... I can't think of another time that would be better to bring this up. I am selecting the Fallout TV series mm, based okay. on the video game. I'm and, fine with that. I mean, Halo is coming out. Right, but it's not a book and I felt like I was cheating, but... I don't care. Fallout is my favorite. If anyone knows this or doesn't know this, Fallout is my favorite video game of all time. Fallout 3 being the more specific, but Fallout 4 coming in very close. Um, I spent 500 hours playing that video game. I got every, every quest completed, every gun, every item. I had a little house that was ransacked by a certain friend of mine who is a lawyer up in Minnesota. Uh, he desecrated my home and a lovely old woman in the video game. But the story of Fallout is incredible. And the not only is the story super enjoyable to play, whether you decide to be a good guy or a bad guy, and I think if they do the show they'll make a character who makes good and bad decisions, steals, but maybe doesn't kill when he could. Um, but the other thing is the world is incredible. It's post-apocalyptic America is really what it's focused on. Um, a nuclear war breaks out in 27, eight, or 2088, some weird 2188, some futuristic number. But all the technology is based in like the 50s and 60s style. So these old boat-type vehicles that you'd see in the 60s on the road, they're powered by nuclear fission engines. Yeah. Everything runs on atomics. It's, it's a brilliant mix of familiarity and futurism. Weapons are, they shoot lasers and plasma. Um, but you also, you know, there's classic old serials. And, and it's a, it shows capitalism. It shows politics. Uh, economics, the video game does. It, it delves into the same things we were talking about with all these other books that we really like. That it, it touches a lot of different topics, has a lot of different themes, 
but the story and the the environment is so cool and you're wandering a wasteland that's devoid of basically all plant life surviving on scraps from the pre-war or the new you know animals the mutant animals that have now developed on the wasteland there's a potential for brilliant effects there's a potential for really interesting t- storytelling on a on a char- like a single character that would be similar to the Mandalorian. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's kind of the it the has that old west. The, it could the, be. It could have that old western feel. It is in a very, future it's very east coast location. Washington D.C. would be my pick, or Boston, because those were the two in the video games. But if they wanted to make a new location, or if they wanted to go to one from a DLC, or include that content, or include those locations There's just as so canon. much they could do with that property oh. that I really hope that TV show is and is great, because there's so much room to kind of branch out to within the Fallout universe that I think it could be amazing. Right, and I'm sure someone's, you know, probably thinking, well, why don't they do a, a Elder Scrolls story, but like throw us into Skyrim? But it's I, not as consistent. I don't no. think it's at like the Elder Scrolls series is as consistent. I think it's just as doable. You could go to a beautiful mountainous location and do that really well. Um, but at the end of the day, I do Fallout's think Fallout, more interesting. Yeah, I think it lends to the um, human more human spirit. Yes. Skyrim, you're deta- or like the Elder Scrolls, you're detached. Yeah, it's it doesn't it's feel fantasy. real. You're, you're out Fallout out, feels yeah. real. Yeah, it, going you, the Fallout Four, you are running from your beautiful neighborhood. To a shelter, a fallout shelter, vault, and that's and then as you're going down the elevator in the vault, the bomb bomb goes off, right in front of you. You barely escape, and just imagine hearing and like you go through the whole thing. The newscaster comes up. There are so many cool things you could do. It's just I'm hoping, I'm hoping. I really am. We got a trailer. We got a sneak peek of some content playing that old TV Mm -hmm. style. Please. Um, please stand by. Please stand by, and Bethesda, and maybe Microsoft. Oh, it's Microsoft now. Might take well. Bethesda's still going to be the studio. They're yeah, not gonna, I'm saying, but they're but yes. It's Microsoft thing. is the, so the owner. That actually, to me, that, that, that's that gives, a good sign. That they're about to say that gives more sign because Microsoft is going to want this property to keep going, and they're not going to want a bad TV show. Right. They're want, they're going to want some good repre- uh, good representation. They'll yeah. Get people to buy the next game. Exactly. They want to put it all in one. So I'm. I'm more hopeful now. But we've only had something in about eighteen months. A little snippet. Yeah, uh, but much. I think that's fine. I think I would I would rather them take their time and make it per- make it great right. than to try to rush something out. Well, we there haven't to seen. Get it I'm just worried we haven't seen or heard. Like, there's nothing about people have been spotted filming. I I haven't seen. Positive. If you have, you're gonna change no, no, my no, day. No, no, I'm almost positive they uh, uh, Phil Spencer, um, who runs the Microsoft gaming division, he had an interview talking about the TV show. Um, how it's actually still going to go out continue. Are they film, are they, what are they doing, though? Or where are they at in production? Do you know? I, 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 this is great radio. Yeah, I it, I believe okay. now they're going to speculation. They want to keep going. There's hope, loyal there's listener. Hope with her. Exactly. <laughs> Goodness um, gracious. But yeah, those are some that we're really looking forward to, and I hope that, that these are good things that are going to go on. And these are properties, books, video games that lead to the... Um, visual medium very well and we're, we're hopeful. Did my cheating just influence maybe potential video game talk and capabilities? I mean, we future? definitely should talk about that. There's right. so sure. many things. Yeah, that's true. Alrighty. You yeah. want to get to our grab, grab bag, bag here? Grab bag. Okay, so I think in for grab bag, um, 
I'm going to throw you a suggestion of a book that I absolutely love and I know you haven't read, and then I want you to throw something to me that uh, you think I may enjoy. Um, so I'll start it off here. It was actually something that I read um, last year, but it was, I would say, top three of favorite books that I read um, that year. Um, last year, I think, I've read, I think I read about 30 books last year, um, something around there. Um, was it one of the audiobooks you sent me for my birthday? It was. Well, no, I sent you the e-book because I know you like reading. Or for uh, Christmas or whatever. For Christmas, yeah, it was an e-book. Um, Not it, high. And, it, and it's called Ministry of the Future. Um, and the whole premise, and it actually, the reason I got onto it was um, the whole beginning part when we had that whole heat wave um, in the upper northwest um, during the summer. I was mm -hmm. like 110 oh, yeah, degrees and they weren't ready for it. The book starts off in India of this huge heat waves and kills millions and millions of people. Oh, because India is so damn overpopulated. Yes, and the whole kind of story starts with like how if we don't kind of control climate change and everything, a lot of things are going to go kind of go bad. And the whole book is based around what the, the Ministry of the Future, where they create this kind of different um, government uh, world um, organization that is looking out for future people. Nobody here, but they're trying to figure out ways to, to help us in the future. And the whole story of the multiple point of views of different characters and stuff and how um, if we don't get this stuff under control, how bad it could go and how governments and how different people could affect um, the future and affect kind of the whole kind of kind of path that we're on. And it's kind of a whole kind of look introspective look in if what if we don't do something now, we're going to be screwed down, down the road. And then it's the whole kind of battle between different governments and how they're trying to quell climate change themselves, even though that might hurt other people. Like in the book, India sprays basically like um, chemicals. Well, the same kind of thing with like Snowpiercer. Yeah, but they like spray that. they spray chemicals to cool, to cool and it cools it, it. Cools no, it cools it like two degrees for like three years. Um, and then they're like, we want to keep trying to do this, or, or not two degrees. I think it's like one degree. Um, and they're like, they're like, oh, is this going to work? But like, the problem is. We don't know what this stuff after it falls back down. Is it going to hurt people? Is it actually going to create <laughs> stuff? And, but so it has that same sort of the, well, what we've been talking about all night. Sort of probably, I'm sure there's economic stuff. I'm oh, sure it's a there's whole, governmental stuff. It's a whole thing about that. And and I just love that stuff. It's we crazy. We live for that shit, don't yeah, we? <laughs> it, it, it's, just, it's just a really good... Thematic messages. Just like introspective on kind of where we're at and what would happen if we don't do something now. And I just think it's a great read to understand... That's the audiobook you sent me, right? No, I sent you an ebook. I just told you. It's, can I listen to it? Yeah, you could also listen to it. You sent me the audiobook too. It's a great lesson. Oh, does that cost you more? No, it's also free with you. Because I need. I ran out of shit to listen to. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll send you that one too. Then the other one you kind of read. Listen to Project Hail Mary, but we're going to get into that one different episode. But what do you got for me? Um, well, first of all, I'm excited. You know that I live for those themes, and I know that's why I'm like I know environmentalism is cool too. I like that. That's an I like it. Does it really focus on that? There's yes, and it focuses on how um, all these different people are getting displaced. They have to go to new countries, and these countries aren't even viewing them as people. Like, so I mean, so the heat wave lasts for forever. No, it was like, like what a, is this? The big heat wave hits India, India kills millions, of, millions people. Millions of people. Right, but um, and then they're saying like these are gonna continue. These heat waves. Oh, so they want to get out. So they want they want to get closer to water, cool. Yes, and, and there's some um, like countries that basically become uninhabitable. So they're trying to go to like, close borders. Close and borders in Switzerland um, is like Zer Zermatt, no um, Zurich. Um, Zermatt. Zer that's where I was. sister sister city to Vermont. The state. Um, they like cheese there. But 
it's that whole thing and like it's like the interpersonal relationships of like what do you do like like one of the people like he almost becomes like a there's kind of environmental terrorism like to trying to Oh, for, cool. force these governments and these rich people to Damn, follow the rules and everything story. is it, it but it's, how long is this book i think the audiobook was 20 something hours that's so, not terribly long so probably 500 pages yeah so. around there i would say okay but it, it great just great all right yeah i mean that's your grab bag your recommendation after all the greatness we've talked about tonight i think that's gone to the top of the queue i'll i'll have to do God, that Scythe story sounded really good too. I may put Scythe, Scythe be, ahead of. It'll be quicker. Scythe I'll put Scythe ahead of, um, ahead of that ministry. ministry. Um, yeah, but still, it's size. If you like, I'm gonna listen to a ministry of the future for sure. But so, for my recommendation, it's my. I I battled my with myself for a couple of years on this, and I came to a conclusion about my favorite book of all time, and that is. The Stand by Stephen King. And Something I know you keep trying to get now. You, you have to just listen to it. It's long. It's like I don't care about that. It's like almost like eighty hours of audiobook. It's eleven hundred pages. Uh, as long as you listen to the extended version, which I think is the only one available. Yeah, Stephen King probably only does an unabridged version, so it has to be the yeah, the yeah, full thing. it is. Um, so it's so good. Um, the, the character, it's, it, it relies heavily on characters, but the, it's the social, like, again, we're going to get into that whole societal thing of what happens when a disease created by the military is let loose on the populace and this disease infects and kills 99.6% per- of the, uh, the people who are exposed to it, and everyone gets exposed to it. So the beginning of the book focuses on the process of that happening and then the aftermath, and it's uh, Stephen King's... It's his version. He, he says this. It's his version of The Lord of the Rings. He wanted to write an epic that's basically good versus evil, um, and you know it's not a fantasy world. By any means, this is America in 1990, book written in 1976. Um, so it's a little bit futuristic for, for from when it was written to the, ex- the existing period, which is a nice little touch because things kind of feel advanced and fun. Um, but it's also very, very dark and brutal. And it, Stephen King doesn't relent with his descriptions and how he's very willing to kill people um, and the way the ways that he kills those people and the ways that other characters hurt each other um, specifically the kid the kid when you get to the kid you'll understand yeah, that um, one's up there and I just like looked audio audible it's uh, 48 hours 48 hours okay yeah. I thought it was way more than that maybe I'm listening to this guy on like half speed felt like a lot more um, but no, that's just please listen to that, and then and, we can do our Stephen King episode that one, and really that, get into it. I actually love the story because my dad is a freaking dire. He has every single Stephen yeah, King yeah. book. Oh yeah, I know. Um, the library is incredible. But uh, I think the story when it originally came out that uh, they didn't allow him to publish the full version right away. It was too uh, big. It was too big. Like no, it wasn't the content. It, it was, was content too big. Like, it was too no, expensive to yeah, print. 
too expensive for rent. They're like, we can't do this. And mm-hmm. then it became such a hit that down the road, they're like, okay, yep. Give us go, more. Give, give us, us more. Go ahead. He actually left. So, like, there he cut, he said he cut 400 pages and he added um, a couple hundred back. After they, when mm-hmm. he put the full version out, his yeah. full. Ex- and he, so he, he left some stuff on the cutting floor that people still want to see. That's crazy. Like, it's just that man. Well, is, he writes six pages a day. Yeah. That's his goal. Like, he's been interviewed yeah. saying good, that. Good or bad, he writes six, six pages. pages a day. Just how it doesn't matter. That, he'll throw them out if he needs to, but six pages. There's and a reason he's, he's able to put out a book or two books a year. It's crazy. I love it. God, I hope he keeps going forever. So I hope he gets the, uh, the scythe treatment and finds the reset, send him back to when he was 30. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. And Pierce Brown, too. Oh, Pierce Brown's only like 35. Yeah, we'll let him keep going anyway. Yeah, and, and George that, R. R. Martin. Maybe yeah. he'll get revitalized. <laughs> Fat bastard. Um, Alright, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm getting hungry. Should we uh, wrap this thing up? Yeah, we should. Alrighty, so... Thank you. This was fun and actually really smooth. I, this was our probably our smoothest recording so far, but we appreciate you uh, tolerating us for as long as you, you did last episode on this. I believe they'll be about similar lengths. So, um, you know, please reach out to us, social media, let us know what you want to hear. I've had a lot of requests for guests. You bring a good, you know, good petition for yourself and we'll have you on. So, um, from Austin Shanahan. And Will Dorjath. This is Selection Collection, and we'll take them out. Stay peachy, everybody.